Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Today I want to talk about you have a green light. And I'm talking about guidance and how do we discern God's will for our lives. You know, there have been times in my life where I've felt like I'm in neutral waiting for God's guidance, almost like hovering, saying, God, which way should I go? And waiting for him to tell me, almost like I'm sitting at a traffic light in neutral saying, I don't know what I should do. And I want to show you today that God has given you a green light. And it's as we start moving and going forward that if we are going wrong, he guides us and brings us into the right path. Because God cares about guiding you. He is invested in guiding you. He has promised in his word, he will guide you with his eye. He will show you the way. You will hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. If you go to the right or to the left, he is invested in showing you the way to go. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we see a very interesting little story concerning King David and Nathan the prophet from God. And in verse 1 it says, Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Now what was happening there? David was feeling guilty that he had a beautiful house and God's ark of the covenant, God's presence, was in a tent. And so he wanted to build a beautiful temple. He had it in his heart to build a temple. What does Nathan the prophet say or do? Does Nathan go away and pray to get guidance? No, Nathan says what is in his heart. He says, verse 2, Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Nathan said what came to him instinctively. He said, God is with you. Do what's in your heart. If there's a desire in your heart, move forward with it. God is with you. Now, it just so happened that even though in other times, many times what David wanted was what God wanted. So in Psalm 37, uh, David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. David delighted himself in the Lord. And so often the desires of his heart were from God. And Nathan knew that. And so he said, go for it. But it just so happened that this time it was not God's plan for David to build the temple. God wanted his son Solomon to build the temple. And so in verse three, it says, but it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. And he then describes that it's going to be his son Solomon. And the principle, the first point that I want us to see today is that God's first instinct is you have a green light. Do whatever's in your heart for God is with you. Move ahead. Don't wait or feel you have to wait for instruction because often God has already put within you the desires of your heart that come from him. And if you are wrong, he will show you. There's an amazing story in Numbers 22 of Balaam and his donkey, where God tried to guide Balaam again and again, saying, no, don't go this way. And he put angels in the way and the donkey would turn and 
and God was guiding him, but Balaam was trying to go the wrong way. And eventually God made the donkey speak to Balaam because God is so invested in guiding us that he will start with small things and eventually he will even make a donkey speak if he needs to, to tell us if we're going wrong. The, the first principle, my friend, is you have a green light. Don't sit waiting, start moving. And as you're moving, if you are wrong, you can be sure that God will show you and guide you. Let's look at a few principles of this from Paul's life. It starts in Acts chapter 13 and verse 47, where Paul is speaking to some non-believers who have just responded to him, he's in a, in a town on his travels, and he says, For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So Paul had a context of the Great Commission. Let me read that to you again. For so the Lord has commanded us, Paul says. He knew what God had told him to do. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul knew what he must do. He knew he must take God's word to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission that all of us have from the Lord. And it is a green light that we should all be thinking about. We should all be in all of our decisions saying, does this help me spread the gospel? Does this help me by maybe I earn money and then I can give to the church and to organizations that are spreading the gospel? Does it help by me being in a place where I can add to the church and to what God is doing in spreading the gospel? This must be one of the big criteria whenever I come to make a decision. But now we see something interesting in Acts 16, a couple of chapters later, it's talking again about Paul and his companions. And it says, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. So Paul is going out just as he's been instructed, go and take the light to the nations, um, show the people the gospel of God, be salvation to the ends of the earth. And he comes to Mysia and he tries to go into a place called Bithynia. For you, maybe it's you come to this job and you feel like you've got another job to go into. Maybe it's um, a church situation. Should I do this ministry or that? Uh, whatever it is. Maybe it's moving country. Whatever it is. Uh, using your time. Using your energy. Using your money. Whatever decision it is. He comes to a place and he tries to go into Bithynia. Notice he's not sitting there just waiting. Spinning his wheels saying, oh, what should I do? He's moving ahead and he tries to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit said no. Do you remember I said that if you're going wrong, God will show you? Uh, there's a verse that I quoted earlier where it says, if you're going to the right or to the left, God will guide you. It's in Isaiah 30, 21. It says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. In other words, if you're going off course to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice saying, no, this is the way. And if you don't listen, God may even use a donkey to speak to you. And so they tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, again, they don't just stop and say, oh, oh 
okay, we better wait then until we've got further instructions. No, no. Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Interestingly, the verse before the one I started with, I started with verse 7 where Mysia and Bithynia, but actually it had happened, the same thing had happened in verse 6 as well, where they tried to go into one place and the Spirit had said no. And now eventually they come to Troas and there was a place God wanted them to go that they would never have thought of going. It was Macedonia, which was way up in the north. Um, it was out of the, the Roman, the normal Greek and Roman area. It was Philippi, which is right up in modern day Europe. Uh, the most northerly place Paul ever went to preach. And they had a vision of a man from there calling them over because if we're not going to go in the right way, God will break in and speak to us and make sure that we know what he wants us to do. I just want to show you another passage now for the next point. So the first point is God has given you a green light and he will show you if you're wrong. Acts 20 verse 22, Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus and he says, And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has told Paul to go to Jerusalem, but he hasn't told him everything that will happen there. You know, sometimes God gives us just the next step or the next couple of steps, and we don't know all the things that will happen. And sometimes you think you're stepping into one place. So, for instance, the vision of the man from Macedonia who called Paul over, when Paul got there, it was a lady that he met. Lydia was the first person he met, and there were a whole bunch of ladies worshipping at a river, and he spoke to them. And he could have said, wow, I, I thought it was going to be a man that I met, because sometimes we have the first step, but we don't have the whole picture. The man from Macedonia may have been an angel, or it may have been the Philippian jailer that Paul met later. I don't know who it was, but the point is, we need to step out in obedience without knowing always every step we're going to take. And so he says, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, the Holy Spirit has told me to go to Jerusalem. He hasn't told me the full picture, but he has warned me there is going to be tribulation and trouble and pain in these cities on the way there. And yet I'm still going. My next point is that many of us have simplified God's guidance to this. And please hear me now. It's such a sad fact. But many of us, rather than going forward in faith, rather than having the Great Commission as our guiding principle, rather than hearing the voice of the Lord and trusting Him if I go to the wrong left or right, instead of that, we have simplified God's guidance to this. If it's easy, it's God's will. If it's difficult, it's not. <laughs> it's such a sad state of affairs that the Christian world by and large, is guided by how easy or difficult circumstances are. And we put a Christian spiritual label on it. We say God opened a door or God closed a door. But actually, the reality is 
that we should not be guided by how easy or difficult circumstances are because we have an enemy, the devil, and there is a, a fallen world all around us and there are people who will not always like what we have to say. And circumstances are just messed up in this fallen planet that we live in. And so there will be difficulty. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Ease or difficulty is not a sign of God's guidance. And we need to say, God, what is it you want me to do? And once we know, we move ahead and we are not dissuaded by difficulties and tribulations. And my last point is that we need to hear from God for ourselves instead of relying on somebody else to guide us. I heard a story about a person who was at a meeting and they had a prophecy from someone else and that prophecy said, you must go and be a missionary to Malaysia. And so the person went home to their little small group of Christians who they fellowship with and they said, I've had this prophecy, I must go to Malaysia, um, God has spoken to me. And the small group said, Does God, has God told you that personally in your heart or are you just listening to what this other person said? And they said, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. And somebody very wise in the small group said to them, if God hasn't spoken to you in your heart, you better go back to that prophet and say, come with me to Malaysia, because otherwise I won't be able to hear what the next step is. Friend, we have to hear from God for ourselves. And in Acts 21, Paul is with his companions and he's staying with Philip the evangelist, who's the great Christian. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, he was taken up after witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch and he landed in another place. Uh, mighty miracles were done. This is Philip the Evangelist, a great leader. He has four daughters who are prophets. And then Agabus, the great prophet of the church, comes and stays. And Paul's there with Timothy and Luke. It's a great meeting of Christians in this home. And they tell Paul what they think the Spirit is saying for him to do. And, but he has heard from God himself. And so he takes what they say. He doesn't act rudely towards them, but he says, I know what God wants me to do. Acts 21 verse 8, On the next day we who were Paul's companions departed, came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So there's been a prophecy. It's true, because remember, the Spirit had warned Paul that there would be tribulations on his way to Jerusalem. So the, the vision that Agabus saw was correct. But the interpretation, listen now to what the rest of the group took to be the meaning of that prophecy. It wasn't quite right because God speaks to you for you and he speaks to me for me. We can give words to one another. We can give guidance. We can give opinions. We can help and counsel. But at the end of the day, friend, you are the one who has to stand before God on judgment day and say, I obeyed your voice. And you can't say it was because Brother Wonderful told me to. So now when we had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the emotional pressure? Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping 
and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the, Lord, the will of the Lord be done. And I'm just going to close by giving you a framework for discerning God's will. The first thing is we have to give ourselves to the Lord. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Present yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable or spiritual act of worship. So the first thing is I give myself. You know, the sacrifice in the Old Testament was placed on the altar. It was dead and it was consumed by fire. But he says, you place yourself as a living sacrifice. You say, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I want. And so the first step to knowing God's will is presenting yourself to him and saying, God, you are my Lord. The second step is having your mind renewed. In verse 2 of Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. When your mind is renewed, so first of all, you've given yourself to the Lord, then your mind is renewed, then you know what God's will is. It becomes part of the desires in your heart. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Then we use some big guidelines, the rules of righteousness in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there were the laws, the Ten Commandments, and all the other 600-odd commandments that were in the Old Testament. They were guidelines in the New Testament, we serve out of love and grace, not out of rules, but there are guidelines about what is righteous and what is not pleasing to God. And we can easily find those. And so as long as you're within those guidelines, that's a big framework for you to say, am I still being guided by the Lord? If you feel like God is telling you to go and find somebody else's husband or wife, um, there's a very good chance that that is not God speaking. If God is telling you, you think, to um, lie or to deceive or to manipulate or to force somebody to do something or to steal or to cheat, that is probably not the Lord. If you are having to go outside of the guidelines of what God says is right and good, then that's not the Lord's guidance. Second big framework, the Great Commission. Am I moving towards spreading God's word and his gospel? to all people everywhere. And then the third one is to say, I have a green light. I know God is with me. I'm moving forward. He will speak to me if I'm going wrong. But if there are two good choices, or maybe three, and you don't know which one is the right one. Let's take a job offer, for example. We were given two job offers. When we were moving from Africa to come and plant churches, in this part of the world. We had a job offer in Canada and we had one in Jersey. And they were both good. They were both great. And we prayed about it and we felt, yeah, they both could be right. We spoke to our kids and we got some idea of what they wanted. But then at the end of the day, we're often placed with two good choices. They are both righteous choices. There's no sin in either of them. They are both involved in spreading God's kingdom and and they both 
meet the requirements of having a desire within our hearts for them. And they both feel right. And we've delighted ourselves in the Lord. And we've renewed our minds and we've laid our lives on the altar. At the end of the day, when there are two or three choices, it comes down to the peace of God. And this peace of God is that amazing thing. The Bible says it passes understanding. It's not bound by logic. Sometimes you have peace from God and it doesn't make sense. One job offer could have a much higher salary than the other, and yet you feel the peace of God telling you to take the other one. Other people may say, that's a crazy decision you're making, but you have peace in your heart. It passes understanding. It may even go against what you thought you should do. You had a plan, and suddenly you just have the peace of God for this other thing, and the peace of God is the final arbiter. In Colossians chapter 3, and verse 15, it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that word rule is the same word that means an umpire in a, in a match, in a sporting match. An umpire says, yes, this is right, that's right. They, they say, yes, this is the way to go. And it says, let the peace of God be the umpire in your heart when you've fulfilled all those other framework of decision parameters. You come to the place and you say, Lord, should I do this? Should I do that? Lord, should I do this? Should I do that? I found myself fasting before when I've had to make a big decision because it blocks out all the other distractions and all the noise from the world, even the noise from my own flesh. And it helps me to be quiet and listen to the peace of God. I found that sometimes when I'm asleep, you know, Psalms tells us that um, God's spirit speaks to us in our hearts when we are asleep. And sometimes either in dreams or when I wake up, I just have a clarity. All the other noise has been removed and I just have a peace for one thing or the other. And so often I will pray and I'll say, Lord, is it this or this or this? And I just have a peace. And I've learned to go with that peace because the peace of God guides us and rules in our hearts. Friend, I don't know if you know Jesus yet. You may have been listening to me for the last few minutes talking and you say, this sounds different to the religion that I grew up with. This doesn't sound like a bunch of rules and, and just obeying church traditions. What is this that he's talking about? I want to tell you that God loves you, that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that all of your sins could be completely paid for and forgiven, that you could be washed clean, made brand new on the inside, given a new start, and that God's Spirit could come and live inside you and walk with you and talk with you and guide you every day of your life. If you would like to know this, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you lived and died for me. I believe you rose again from the grave. I believe you paid for all of my sins. And Lord, I have sinned. I give you all of my sins and I ask you, please, to forgive me of them. I turn away from them now. I give my life to you. I ask you to come in and make me brand new, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to walk with you all the days of my life from this moment onwards forever. Please, would you make me a brand new person? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says that if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. 
and he has answered your prayer today. We would love to hear from you and to help you start this journey with Jesus. Our website, leadinglightsnetwork.com, has a lot of resources for you. Please go on there, register on there, or email us at office at leadinglightsnetwork.com and let us know that you have made this decision and we would love to walk with you and help you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.